Good morning. The youth are awake. They know the routine. Good morning. I like response. I don't like talking to a dead audience as much as you don't like listening to a dead preacher. So help me out here this morning. I have enjoyed uh, this weekend some of the things that I heard around my house this morning as we were eating breakfast and getting ready. Um, our chil- my children and my wife were saying that they enjoyed yesterday. Um, I heard some of them mentioning they enjoyed just being with common youth who were just okay with who they were and just down to earth. So bless you, youth. Um, it was a good weekend. We were encouraged, and uh, I trust uh, you have been also Thank you for the offering that you shared last night. Bless you for that also. Where is God has been the theme this weekend. And we looked at just where is God in my life in general as we go through ups and downs of life. Uh, We talked about where is God in my personal life, um, in my devotions and prayer time. Where is God when I'm making decisions and how to um, involve him in those and uh, be open to God's input. You know, I talked a little bit about my time of service in Pennsylvania, and I want to share a story about that. Um, I was in service at Penn Valley in uh, central Pennsylvania, and as I served there, we attended a local church, and uh, we were kind of part of the youth group there. Uh, we would Uh, We joined their church chorus. We went on church uh, chorus tour with them, and I just enjoyed the uh, interaction with the youth. And we didn't get to go to church every Sunday because at times there were um, uh, seminars happening at Penn Valley, but the times we did, um, I remember often coming to church, and let me tell you my observation, whether it's 100% accurate or not, this is what we as a staff observed in the church. Church was uh, kind of our typical Anabaptist uh, church service, much like we had this morning. Uh, Kind of a, I guess, a routine or or something that we all come to expect in a church service. But there was something that was interesting that we noticed as staff, and it seemed like as the pastor would get up to preach, the men would sink down in their seats just a little bit. And as he proceeded to preach, their heads would start to go down and they would tend to nod off and occasionally they would come awake. But it seemed like it was, they weren't very engaged with the service and it didn't seem like they were very attentive. Now I'm not here to pass judgment on on the messages that were being preached, but I will admit they maybe weren't... um, they didn't hold you on the ed- at the edge of your seat, and that's okay. I'm not, I'm not here to diss the messages that we heard. I think there was truth preached. But that was what I was observing in those church services. And at the end of the message, um, a, a minister, uh, probably like uh, Tim or somebody that had done the opening, would get up front and he would stand behind the pulpit and he would call for a response to the message and he would open it up. And they would kind of use the same terms. It was often said, is, is, does anyone have a word? Is there a word from anyone? Does somebody want to give a word? And there was, there was very little response about the message that had just been preached. And it, it seemed like Sunday after Sunday, that's, that's what would happen. 
And yet there was one thing that you could just about depend on is that when they were up asking for a response, there was a man that sat about three-quarters of the way up, somewhere in this area. And if I remember right, he kind of had red hair. And he would, he would often jump up, and he would give a testimony. And he would just give something that had happened to him that week, or something that he had read in his devotions, or something that the pastor had shared. And he was excited about to be living his life. And he, he shared about how it, had, how it had impacted him that week. And he would sit down. And, and repeatedly, and we talked about it as staff, that if it, wouldn't, if it weren't for Mr. Sharp, there wouldn't be very many testimonies in that church. And I had to wonder, he heard the same message everybody else did. He was probably reading the same Bible that everybody else was reading all week long. What was the difference? Why was it that when opportunity was, was, when opportunity was given, he had a testimony for the Lord, and so many other people didn't? This morning's message is, where is God in my church? Or maybe for you youth, maybe it's where is God in my youth group? Why is my church so dead? Why is it not mission-minded? Why is it not more spiritual? I mean, isn't that a good desire to have for a church? Shouldn't a church be spiritual? Why is my church so black and white? Why do we always do it the same? Or maybe you have those feelings about your youth group. Why is it so dead? Why isn't it mission-minded? Why does my youth group have to be so immature? I'm not sure where you find yourself. What part of church life and health am I responsible for? Is this God-ordained organization, the church, as we refer to it, Let's look at Salem since we're here. Is this organization, the church, or boil it down to Salem, is the organization, is Salem, when we look at it, is that organization affected, is that made up of, is that a result of the people that are at Salem? Or are the people a result of, of what the church is. So who's affecting who? Is the church as an organization affecting the people? Or do the people actually make up what the organization is? Turn with me to second or to first Thessalonians chapter four. Let me give you a little backdrop of this passage. So Paul had established a church in Thessalonica, and he had left and, and continued on his journey, and he sends Timothy back to check up on the church. And so he wants Timothy to go back and see how they're doing, how the brethren are doing. And Timothy goes and observes the church, and then he comes back to Paul and gives a report. And he gives a good report about the church. I want to be clear about that. 
I don't think this church was a necessarily a struggling church. Paul has plenty of things to say about the churches who weren't doing well, and he calls them out. But it seems like he has received a favorable report from the brethren about the brethren in, in Thessalonica. And, but in this letter to them, as he's writing back to them, uh, Paul is giving some basic life direction to the church. He's encouraging them. Um, he's encouraging them how to live out a victorious, changed life in Christ through the church, as they're part of the church. So I'm going to begin reading in chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye, should, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, or we, sh- we could say the passions of lust, but even as the G- Gentiles, which, knew, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who also hath given unto us his Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop there and make some comments. And I've divided this passage into Three things that I think Paul is calling them to. The first one is personal purity. And in the New Testament churches, they're, they're often called out for their lack of personal purity, for their lack of um, living a holy, um, pure life. Why is that? Why, is it, why does that seem that theme or that, that thing seemed to be such, a, uh, such an important thing that is addressed in the New Testament. You know, I don't know where you find yourself in your uh, journey of purity, but I'm going to suggest a few things this morning of why this might be important and why we should pay attention to our personal purity. Lack of personal purity affects myself, but also those around me. For some reason, Satan plants this idea in our mind that it only affects me, um, especially if I'm not married. Now, it's obvious as a married man and a husband, it affects me and my wife. It also is going to affect my children. But I think Satan cause, or makes us think sometimes that as a youth or being unmarried that my personal purity won't affect other people around me, but it does. It affects, how I, it affects how I relate to them. It affects my openness to them. It affects my heart of service. Even feeling capable to serve is affected when my personal purity is jeopardized. It also distorts my view of myself and others. Suddenly I have a, a view of myself that is um, it can go both ways. It can go. It can affect that I look at myself and I think, "Ah, oh, I'm just worthless. I can't do anything. I'm, 
you know, I'm all down on myself because I feel defeated, because I'm living in defeat. The other side of it is it can also affect me at times where I have a, a better-than-thou view or a view, a, um, a uh, I can't think of the word, a judgmental view of other people. And this is, is, um, is often evident in my view of the church. And so suddenly I become um, very attuned or very aware of what I think all the church problems are and, and how we could, why aren't we alive, right? Why aren't we more mission-minded? And I think, well, this, the church is so spiritually dead. There's just nothing happening here. There aren't any amen Sunday morning. And I can just, I, I become very judgmental of the church that I'm a part of. And I'm suggesting that can sometimes stem from lack of personal purity. It causes me to be very dissatisfied. It also gives me a clouded view of truth. Because, quite frankly, I'm living in sin. I'm choosing to live in sin. Yes, lack of personal purity is living in sin. I know there's... For years, speaking about pornography, things like that, we would not mention something like that over the pulpit. It was, we didn't talk about it. We just, we dealt with it privately. And I think we've maybe swung the other way where it just becomes normal now. Um, what maybe years ago was, was, was not, uh, there weren't as many people who were struggling with things like that, who were falling into that sin. It's become rampant because of the availability of some of those things. And our close association to, um, quite frankly, our pursuit of sports figures and people like that have turned our hearts from God. And what happens is we begin to become accustomed to those lifestyles that we view, those movies we watch, those people that we follow, those sports teams that our passions are turned towards, and we think, well, this is just normal. And it's, it's not normal in God's kingdom. It shouldn't be normal in the church. But my fear is that we become accustomed to it and we start to say, well, we all face it. All young people face it. And I'm not doubting that we're all tempted with it. But that does not mean that we all need to fall. By God's grace, I think there is victory available. In verse 7, it says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. We are called as God's people, as, as God's people here on earth, living out His kingdom. We are called to holiness. We are called to be a light. We are called to be different. This call to be holy is not from the church only. It's not from the Mennonites. It's not from Salem. It's not from the ministers. This call to be holy is from God. It's, much, it's a much higher call than that. Each of those organizations or those, those um, uh, uh, structures of authority under that should reflect what God is, expected, is expecting, but we should look to it as a call from God. God is directly calling me to live a pure life. God is directly um, holding me responsible to live a pure life. 
Hebrews 13.4 talks about sexual relationships as God has designed them. And, he, and in that passage, I'm not going to turn to it, but in that passage, he says that it's a good thing. But he also says that those who step outside of his clear boundaries will be judged. And that's us if we find ourselves struggling on and on with some of these sexual sins. We are going to be judged. It is a matter of right and wrong. It is, there is truth and there is, there is a lie that we can live in these things and be okay. At the final ju- judgment, we are going to be divided by how we have lived our lives and by what, what our lives have consisted of. And disobeying God's principle is a rejection directly of God and not the church, not your ministers, not the youth leaders. It is a direct rejection of God and His truth and His holiness. Let's not forget that. So the first thing is our personal purity. The second thing is our brotherly love. Verse 9 says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Let's stop right there. I, I think it's interesting that he says, you know, you don't really need me to write these things to you. But then he does, right? He just got done giving them that, that, um, that truth or giving them, giving them um, another step to live out um, the, their godly lives through brotherly love. But why does he say, I shouldn't have to write this to you? I think it's because um, Jesus had, had been on earth, had just given them the, the command to love, and he had lived it out so well. They had had this, this perfect example of what brotherly love should look like, of what true love should look like. And in John chapter 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give unto you, this is Jesus speaking, that ye should love one another as I have loved you, that ye should love one another. You know, it's, it's, love is a response, is my response to God and to others because of his love for me. It should be a direct response of what I have received from God. And if I find it hard to love people around me, if I find it hard to have passion for God, I would encourage you to trace it back to what do, how do I respond to God's love? How do I see his love for me? Maybe I need to say, do I need his love? Maybe I see myself as being, I've been a pretty good person. I really haven't committed all kinds of terrible sins. And so, yeah, God loves me. I know that. And I continue to live my life? Or do I see myself as being down in the gutter, down and out, a person who was helplessly lost, and it was only by God's grace and Him reaching down and me experiencing that love, accepting that love that He's giving to me, because of my acceptance of that, I now have something to give to other people. I now have something to respond in love back to my Father, the, the one who saved me. I now have something to, to give to my brothers and sisters. I now have something to give to my fellow youth. I now have something to give to my, my church. The one who on some Sundays 
I maybe don't have a lot of love for. How has God loved me? How has God loved you? How has that affected your response to your brothers and sisters? Verse 10, and indeed ye do it, speaking of this love, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Such a blessing of of being encouraged. I see you doing it in Macedonia. I see you doing it to all the people around you. But I encourage you to continue to increase. There's something about our, there's a truth about our Christian life that we will never arrive If you think that at some point in your Christian walk, oh, if I could just get to the next step, I'll have attained. No, it's a continuous journey. We continue to learn. I'm not done learning. Just because I I came this weekend to interact with you as youth does not mean I have it figured out. There are other people on their, their walk of life that are miles ahead of me, and I look at them, and I want to learn from them. In the same way, he's encouraging this church saying, I see you reaching, I see you loving other people, but continue to grow in that. Well, how do we grow in our love for other people? If you're one of those people that love and you would say, I'm experiencing God's love in me, I'm, I'm showing other, people's, other people God's love, how do I continue to grow in that? Several suggestions is, do I realize the needs around me? Am I aware of other people? Am I aware of, the, of their needs and how I can help them? Or am I constantly so aware of the things that I'm facing and my needs that it consumes my time, my energy, my focus? I'm constantly figuring out, trying to figure out, well, how can I help myself? Because life is so tough. And if we have that kind of an attitude, we're going to miss the people around us. We're going to miss the other hurting people. We're not going to have time for them. Oh, maybe next week. Today's, this, this week's just not a good week. Uh, it was a rough week. Children didn't sleep well. My, uh, it was a rough weekend at youth rally. Uh, we were up late, and I, uh, I, just, I just need to, to recharge a little bit. Whatever it is. When I'm so focused on me and, and what I'm facing, and my lows and my valleys... I'm not going to be aware of the people around me. I miss opportunities to serve and to care for others. You know, something interesting about caring for others. The more you care for others, you'll find the less problems and struggles you will have personally. Do you actually have less problems? Or maybe your focus is turned off of those. Quite possibly. Suddenly I become aware of others. And there are times that I'm aware of other people and what they're facing. And when I really empathize with what they're facing, I look at my own problems and I think, man, you know what? It's not that big a deal, really, compared to what they're going through. And so it helps me keep a good perspective of myself. It, it helps me from becoming a selfish person, just thinking of, all of my own needs. The third thing I want to look at, the first one is personal purity. The second one is loving others or brotherly love. The third one is 
found in verse 11 and 12. And that ye study to be quiet. Number three, study to be quiet. And to do your own business. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. And that ye may have lack of nothing. So there are three things that he mentions here. Study to be quiet, do your own business, and work with your own hands. Introverts, lest you have your pens out and ready to underline that verse, just hang on a second. Introverts are often people who don't like to do things or don't like to be around other people. They would rather just be at home and in their own little hole, right? Is that what he means here? Is he saying, um, don't be aware of others around you? Because he says, mind your own business, right? He says, to work with your own hands. He says, study to be quiet. Does it mean just mind my own business? Does it mean do your own thing and I'll do my own thing? Is that what he's saying here? I don't think it is. The first one there, study to be quiet, I think a a, a good interpretation of that would mean to live a quiet, simple life. Uh, Really, it's living a holy life. Uh, We maybe struggle with that term, living a holy life, but that's what it is. Living a quiet, simple life. Earlier earlier in this chapter, in verse 7, he calls us to a holiness, or he calls the the church here to a holiness in their their, purity in their personal life. And I think he calls us to holiness in in all of our life. Um, All of our life should be affected, not just our church life, But in our business life, in our family life, in my my personal life, we're called to holiness in all of those. So how do I live a quiet, simple life? Maybe enjoy life in the present, even if it's not glamorous. Sometimes I can get so caught up in just thinking, well, there's there's something just ahead. (laughs) It's... Youth life is a little boring right now, or family life, wherever you find yourself this morning. It's, it's just kind of humdrum. It's just kind of normal, but in three months, we're going to do this. Or I, I find myself constantly looking forward. There's, there's just something better. You know how it is when we're, when we're 15 or 14. We just wish we could be 16, right? So we could be with the youth, or whatever you, age you start with the youth. And then we, we hit that. Man, if we could be 18, we could, be, we could go to Bible school, right? And then I just wish I were 21 so I could be on my own. And then we just, man, if I could just get married. And suddenly we were 40, and we just wish we could be 15 again. Isn't that right? And so we're always looking ahead till suddenly we get there, and then we want to go back. And we just we just missed that section right in between that we could have enjoyed. And I'm saying a quiet, simple life is enjoying today where I'm at. Not always looking forward to all the glamorous things that appear to be out ahead, but finding joy in the present. Enjoying the simple things. Some years ago, I, I don't think it was during COVID, but our family, we really wanted to go camping. We enjoy camping together as a family, but it had been, it had been a busy time. And we just, for some reason, we couldn't see ourselves, and our children were really young. And it's, it's, it's a lot of work to go camping when you have young children. I mean, they enjoy it, but it's, it wears parents out. So 
we wanted to do, we wanted to go camping, but we didn't really want to go camping because it was too much work. And my, I think my wife finally suggested, she said, let's just camp in the backyard. And we did. We pulled the camper out in the backyard, believe it or not, and we told the children, we're going to camp all weekend. And if I remember right, we slept in the camper. We cooked out over the fire. We were at home. If we needed, you know, the, there were nice showers in the house. The food was all in there. We could go get stuff. And if we forgot the ketchup, it was right in there. We could go get it. It was the simplest camping trip we've probably ever done. It was a lot of fun. You know, we don't have to do big, flashy things to enjoy life at times. We can do simple things. Last summer, my boys and I, I think at least three or four times, we slept out in the woods. Just, boys, let's sleep out in the woods tonight. We went out, threw our sleeping bags down, made a campfire. We slept out there. Now, was it as glamorous as me taking my boys to the mountains of Colorado and going camping? You know, that would have been perfect Instagram footage. It wasn't. But you know what? It, it fit where we were at. We didn't have time to take a week to go to Colorado. We had one night to sleep out in the woods. The boys had friends over sometime, and I said, let's sleep out in the woods tonight. I'd take them out and sleep out in the woods. Can we find enjoyment in just simple things like that? A quiet life. A simple life. Don't miss the simple things. Living a quiet, simple life sometimes includes hard times, and I encourage you to embrace those. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes it's busy. Just get a hold of those. Be okay with them. God, what are you trying to teach me? And Be patient. Thank God for the good times when they come. Thank God for the exciting times that you've had. Uh, enjoy the family vacations the trips, but don't miss opportunities to enjoy simple things in life. The second one, he says, is do your own business. Do your own business. I'm suggesting don't focus on others' deficiencies. So there is a part of this, I think, we need to pay attention to my own personal walk. I need to make sure that I'm doing well. Too often I get caught up on everybody else and what I think they could do and better and improve on and possibly. Um, so be careful that you don't do that. Be aware of your own needs and continue to grow. But don't focus on other people and their deficiencies. Be responsible and focus on your calling. Your present calling. So a little bit back to the immediate. Do well where you've been called now, if you're head of the youth group, if you're uh, asked to do a devotional, or if you're asked to lead songs, whatever it is, figure out how to do that and figure out how to do it well. Ask somebody how to do it. Focus on those responsibilities. If you're in the church here and you're, you're called to be um, a usher, how can we improve our ushering? What does that mean? Maybe it means more than just what we've always done. Maybe it means inviting people in. Maybe it means, I don't know what it is, but wherever you're called, do it well. Be faithful where you're called. Improve wherever you're called, whatever you may be called to. Be faithful in your job, your church, your youth community, 
or maybe your Sunday school class if you're a teacher. Improve on that. Be faithful in your church responsibilities. Be faithful in the community that God has placed you. Maybe northern Indiana is not the ideal place, you think, to live. Yeah, I know there's, there's some people here that would say, you know what, this is not the place that I would like to spend the rest of my life. And that's okay. But you're here now. For some reason, you're here. God has you here. And at some point, that may change. But don't sit here and gripe and complain about northern Indiana. For some reason, God has you here. What's that reason? How does he want you to affect this community? Maybe this community needs you. Maybe this community, for some reason, needs a person with a a passion to do whatever it is that God has laid on your heart to do. And you can be effective right here, even if it's not your first choice place to live. The third one, it says, and work with your own hands as we have commanded you. Work with your own hands. I think in this setting, um, there came out, have just come out of a, a time of um, slavery or having slaves. And the common, um, it was a common thing to have slaves. And so typically the slaves were the ones who did the manual labor. It wasn't the owners. And as... As they came into the church, they were called to, to change that practice of slavery. And suddenly we find people in this church who possibly had slaves beforehand. And Paul's encouraging them, you need to work. You need to learn to work. And that was maybe a new thing for some of these people. They were used to telling people to work. Some were maybe idle and unproductive um, personally in their own, probably for their own well-being and also for God's kingdom. And he was calling them to be active and to work with their own hands. You know, I think we can learn from this. Idleness does also contribute to self-focus. For some reason, when I'm not busy, when I don't have a lot to do, um, I can tend to focus on, my own, on myself and my, my problems. And I can, I can tend to see everything that's wrong in my life. Uh, matter of fact, I tend to start noticing all the other problems too, right? I, I become aware of everything in church and school and community and you, you name it. All of a sudden, there's, oh, there's just all kinds of problems there. Maybe I need to be busy, either physically at a job or maybe, maybe God has work in his kingdom here in northern Indiana that I could be involved with. I see some of you are going to missionary press and, and to faith mission home. Maybe there are some, or faith mission in Elkhart. Maybe there are some things like that that I could be involved with that would help take my focus off of problems and turn it towards ministry. I think it's good not to be idle. And with where we live in northern Indiana, it's also good not to be too busy. Okay, So we need to weigh those two things. I, I, we're, we're a busy community, so I just encourage you, don't, don't take what I said to the extreme and become so busy um, that you don't have time to focus on the things that you're called to do in your own homes, in your lives. You know, there is personal fulfillment in working and serving others, caring for others. There's something about um, caring for them that, that brings a personal fulfillment, and I think that's God-given because I find fulfillment in serving and in caring for the needs of those around me.
I believe that God works in his people's hearts through the church. And so I asked that question to begin with, does the church affect the people or do the people affect the church? And I will say, I think God works in his people's hearts through the church. So the church does affect me. I also believe that God builds his church through his people. And also through their changed hearts and as they continue changing, they build up the church more and more. And so I don't think we can totally put the responsibility just on people And it's not totally on church, but we affect each other. They should build each other up. We as people, as members of of the church, should be building the church up as we care for the brotherhood, as I live out my pure life, as as I focus on where I'm called. I should be building the church up. In turn, the church will become a strengthened body, right, who now gives to me also. I also receive from them. So I receive encouragement. And what does that do? That encourages me to live a more godly life. That encourages me to pursue God in in wherever he calls me. Sometimes through the church, he calls me in specific ways. And as, as the church gives to me, I also become more godly, more holy, and I continue to grow. You know, if God is distant in my church, what is my responsibility to close that gap? Has God moved away? Did God step away from my church? Why isn't it more spiritual? Is it because God left? I don't think so. Or is it because we've moved away from Him? Is that a possibility? A strong church is one whose people are pure, they love each other, and they're quietly busy in God's kingdom and wherever he calls them. You know, this is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit living in me and changing me and renewing my mind and my heart daily. It happens, it must happen every day. It's a continual growth of the Spirit living in me. It's nothing I can do of myself. It's, it's not who I am, and suddenly I become this spiritual, powerful, godly person. No, it's the Spirit of God living in me and being lived out through me that I can be effective to the church and to people around me. If your church were a church full of people, I ask that personally. If my church, if Sandy Ridge was full of Kendalls, our attendance this morning is 193. If your church, wherever you go, were full of you, put your name in, all the benches were filled with people exactly like you, 
Would you join? Would you join? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for our time together. Lord, thank you for the church. Lord, thank you for the way that you've designed the church to to help us grow in our personal lives. Lord, thank you um, that your spirit is, is working in our hearts and that you want to work in our hearts and to change us continually. Lord, help us to uh, be willing and be open to having your spirit renew our minds, change our hearts each day. Lord, help us to have a passion to learn to know you better. Lord, I pray a special blessing on each of these youth. Bless them for being here. Thank you for uh, the good discussions that we've had. Thank you for the encouragement that they've been to me. And I pray that you would bless them as they strive to serve you where you've called them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.